Thank you, Jesus. God will say, what can separate us from the love of God manifested in Christ? Hallelujah. You see, if you don't have that mentality, you will be depressed. There are so many things going on in the world. The Bible says, set your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. So we need to set our eyes on the Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. And if you don't set your eyes on Jesus, you're going to set it on something else. And then you'll be in trouble. Hallelujah. May God bless you. You may be seated. Hallelujah. This is an exciting weekend for us believers. Hallelujah. Uh, This is an exciting weekend because we are being reminded of the great deliverance that you got, we got. Hallelujah. When Jesus went and willingly offered his life for you and me so that we may be freed from the dominion of satanic manipulation, coming into the freedom of the sons of God and set on motion to fulfill the agenda of the Father here on earth. We are more than conquerors through Christ. Hallelujah. I say we are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus. I don't think a Christian should be sad. (laughs) I think sadness can attack us, but we can't stay there. You know why? Because the Apostle Paul said, in life or death, I shall glorify him. Hallelujah. And the thing that depresses us in life are the thing that we will live live here. Have you noticed that the thing that depresses us in life are the things that don't go into eternity? Huh? Do you understand that money does not go into eternity? Do you understand that a house does not go into eternity? Huh? Do you understand that? Your job is not going there. Hallelujah. There is no marriage there. There, there is no marriage. So when we are depressed, it's because naturally we put our eyes on the things that are here. Lazarus had nothing. He died broke. And the Bible says that he was received. He was taken to paradise. The rich man died rich. And they say he went to hell. It's always funny when I read that scripture. Where they say that the angel of the Lord carried Lazarus into the bosom of Abraham. And the poor man, we don't know, with the rich man, we don't know how he ended up there. We realize he was there. So the Bible does not even say, who took him there? <laughs> By which means of transportation he got there. But he got there. And once he was there, he realized that everything he had on earth means or meant nothing anymore. And he was pleading with Abraham and he said, tell Lazarus. 
to go and dip his finger on water and put it on my tongue. You know, I, I used to say, this man is a boss. Even in heaven, he's still giving orders. <laughs> it, it, he's in hell and he's giving orders on the other side. Tell him. But I said, no, he can't. He said, okay, then send somebody to go and warn. Big guy is a boss. Even in hell, he tried to be a boss. <laughs> Hallelujah. Now, you know, some people don't want to do work. They want to delegate and they sit there. That's a boss mentality. In the kingdom, there's no boss. Everybody gets his own dirty. But listen, you cannot work with God with a secular mindset. Secular mindset, you sit there and you delegate. In the kingdom, you get into it. Jesus delegated, but he went with them. He did the job himself. Hallelujah. So you cannot serve God if you have a boss mentality. It's not possible. You might be successful, but in God, you are not successful. And one day you stand there and you realize you lose everything. Hallelujah. So this is a Passover weekend. And uh, I don't know where even I should start. I will start. It's so big. <laughs> the topic is so big. Last night I started with my family and I, we, we talk about the days, the two days before Jesus was arrested, the events that took place before Jesus was arrested. And my man, it's amazing to know that the whole thing followed a preparation. From the time he was born until the time he was crucified, Jesus followed the word that was upon him until he went to Jerusalem and was crucified. When Jesus had the cross said it was finished, he never meant my life is finished. He meant everything written about me is finished. That's what he meant. He meant I have done it all. The last act was the cross. Now it is finished. Amazing. I was curious one year, and I've said that to you before, and I was studying, I was studying the choice of Mary. Why was Mary chosen among all the virgins? And I studied some of the aspects of, of the fact that he came here on earth. And I was surprised by some of the things that I read when I was studying and I saw in scripture. I, I came across one information that was given to me by a, a, an archaeologist in Israel. He does a lot of research. And he told me that according to tradition, the family of Mary was in the line of priests. And that family, the, the, the duty of that family in the temple work was to look after the lambs that were be sacrificed. So Jesus was born into that family so that he can be groomed for the cross. Hallelujah. It's amazing. There was no mistakes. The choice of the family, the choice of the lamb. And then I read and I say, I read that when Jesus was born, 
The first people that were announced to was the shepherd. And I thought, oh, God is so amazing. He goes always for the poor. And he said, no, it's not the poor. He said, people got it wrong. They thought God is so mindful of poor people that he went and told the shepherd, no. And he asked me, when a lamb is born, who is the first to know? The shepherds. So he went to the shepherd to tell them so that we can know the one that is born is really a lamb. So this gospel that we preach, no, he went to the shepherd because they were poor. Jesus went to the outcast. No, it was not outcast. They were shepherds. And they were supposed to be notified first because they were the one that were in charge of the sheep. So when a lamb is born, the shepherd is the one to rejoice first. So that's why the angel went to rejoice with the shepherd because they were telling, a lamb is born. Hallelujah. So from that time, Jesus was groomed. Hallelujah. David said something. He said, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. And he said, he leads me beside the still waters. Amen. Make me light in green pastures. He restores my soul. Hallelujah. And then at some stage he said, even when I wander in the valley of a shadow of death, I shall fear no evil because you are with me. And, and, and I was thinking and I said, but why would God inspire Prophet David, because David was a prophet. He was a king prophet. Although it's not written that way, but he was a king prophet. If you see what he said, he was a prophet, announcing many things about Jesus. Why would Jesus announce the king prophet that when I walk on my own, you are with me? And then I realized that in Jesus' life, when he was 12 years old, he wandered around. And the parents went to look for him. And he talked about the value of a shadow of death. Do you know who crucified Jesus? Who were the people behind the crucifixion? It was the, the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees. Do you know at 12 years he was with them? That was the shadow of death. Ah. He said, even when I go to the shadow of death, you are there with me. So, so at 12 he was exposed to those who will kill him. Already. He went and spoke to them. And discussed scripture about with them, and they were shocked of the understanding. And the parent, when they said, But why are you here alone? When I walk, when I wander through the valley of the shadow of death, you go after me. Do you catch what I'm saying? So, Jesus, that we are serving, the, the, the story about Jesus, if you don't understand, you are thinking we are serving a God that. It's just a spirit there and no. Jesus' story is so real that you can find trace of him everywhere. And the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, it was written about him. Everything, when you read Revelation, the book of the beginnings, everything in the book of the beginnings talks about Jesus. Yes. It talks about Jesus. When you study from the names, the genealogy, all this talks about Jesus. Yes. Already in the five, five, uh, first five names of 
the Bible, you find Jesus in there. It was all written all over, all over, all over. Look at somebody like Joseph. Joseph's story had nothing to do with Joseph. It was the story of Jesus. You understand? A man that was born in a family that they didn't like him. Who is that? They say his own brother rejected him. Isn't that Jesus? Hallelujah. The man that was sold by his own brothers, who is that? Jesus. Amen. The man that was arrested, and you know, when we talk about Joseph was in the pit, Jesus also was in the pit before crucifixion. Hallelujah. Joseph was in prison. Jesus also, the book of Peter tells us, when he died, he went to the spirit that disobeyed long before the time of Noah and preached the gospel to them. So Joseph was in jail. Jesus went to hell. What did Jesus do in jail? He, he, he gave revelation to those who were there. Jesus brought revelation to those who were there. When Jesus was resurrected, the Bible said when he was resurrected, he was received by the Father and sat at the right side. Joseph, when he came out of prison, where was he? He sat at the right side of King Pharaoh. So this Jesus we are talking about, his story is written all over the Bible. And sometimes we don't understand. Okay, I don't have time to go into the names. But if I go through the names, I can show you the meaning of the names. And what those names mean and, and how he, he points to Jesus. Already in the book of Genesis. Even the deeds of the prophet were pointing out to Jesus. All of it. And this is a Jesus that the Bible says that he is the son of God. The risen king. And this is a Jesus that gave us off his spirit. And we are here today, we are born again. Look, listen, the Bible is so alive that there is no book on earth that can compare to the Bible. The, the, the complexity in which the Bible is written, there is no human intelligence that can write that. It's not possible. It's not possible. The Bible is a revelation of the triumph God. It, 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 it condensed. When you read it, you find God. It's written all over every page of the Bible. And this is God that we are serving. You see, you see, that's why you have storytellers in the, in the kingdom and you have people that preach and teach. And what is destroying the church is to storytellers. Hallelujah. But if you go into your Bible, you realize that the things that God says are there and are evident. They are there, they are evident. Hallelujah. I say hallelujah. Are you excited? Say to your neighbor, I am excited. (laughs) Hallelujah. When we, I told you when we finish with Passover, I think God is going to do something. Now, we're going to talk about today understanding of the Passover. Understanding of the Passover. We need to understand the Passover. Passover is not 
Easter. Hallelujah. Easter is not Passover. Easter comes from the word Easter, which is a goddess. And we can't celebrate Easter. We celebrate Passover. It was bunny eggs that you have thrown them away. <laughs> Don't give that to your kids. Eh? Ah, yes, bunny eggs. Demonic diabolization. of children when they are young. The Bible says, teach your children when they are young. And then they will not depart from the truth. Now, teaching of children is very important because if you teach them bunny eggs, they will not have the revelation of the true Jesus. That's the importance why we say don't do this thing to the children. People say, but what is the what is the harm in that? It's just children. We we just give them give through bunny egg. Which bunny has eggs? <laughs> no, tell me, tell, tell me. If your bunny can give egg, there is a problem. So the story itself does not align. Am I the only one that think a bunny does not have egg? Or you think your bunny are laying egg at home? So we reject the idea of Easter. We reject it. It's not part of Christianity. Reject it. We accept what the Bible says. Hallelujah. So Passover. Let's go to the story of Passover. In the book of Exodus, chapter number 12, verse 1 to 13. Exodus 12, 1 to 13. We're going to take it step by step and go on. Then after that, if you don't understand, then you must go back to the Sunday school. We're going to take it from there. (laughs) Hallelujah. He said, now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, this month shall be your beginning of months. So according to God, Passover is the beginning of a year. He said, this will be the beginning of your month. Oh, we know about Rosh Hashanah, but I'm reading now scripture now. He said, this will be the beginning of your month. It shall be the first month of the year. To you. Come on. So, so, although we do December, but December is not God's calendar. Do you understand that? And I'm not saying we do it. It's not a certain to do. But I'm saying that December is not God's calendar. December we call the Gregorian calendar. Hallelujah. Okay, so it's the first month of a year to you. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb. Somebody say a lamb. According to the house of his father, a lamb for the household. And if the household is too small for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of people according to each man's need you shall make your count for the lamb 
Now you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. And they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the house where they eat it. Then they shall eat the flesh on that night, roasting it, roasted in fire with unleavened bread and with bitter herbs as they shall eat it. Do not eat it raw, nor boiled at all with water, but roasted in the fire, its head with its leg and its entrails. You shall let none of it remain until morning, and what remain of it until morning you shall burn with fire. And thus you shall eat it with a belt on your waist, the sandal on your feet, and your staff in your hand. So you shall eat it in haste. It shall be Lord Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt and on that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both men and beasts, and against all the gods of Egypt, I shall execute judgment. I am the Lord. Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you and the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Hallelujah. This is, this is, this is amazing. This is a story of Passover. And did you see Easter there? Please. Easter weekend. Secular media, Easter weekend, you will see the buses traveling Easter weekend. And Christians are going Easter weekend, Easter weekend. Hallelujah. Now, the notion of substitution, substitution, was first introduced here. Hallelujah. I'll tell you what it is. The whole idea of Passover is the idea of substitution. In the Garden of Eden, there was no substitution. There was clothing without substitution. Hallelujah. Now, what is substitution? Let me read it to you so that we can be at the same line of information. Hallelujah. When we talk about substitution, is the action of replacing someone or something with another, with another person or a thing. Is a notion, is an action of replacing someone or something with another person or a thing. Hallelujah. It's replacement. It's also the act of serving or acting in the place of somebody else. It's an act of serving or acting in the place of somebody else. Hallelujah. Now, why does 
The idea of Passover is the idea of substitution. Because in Passover, the life of a firstborn was substituted by a lamb or a young goat. So what God did, he said to the people, take a young lamb or goat. And what do you do? You kill it. When you kill it, you replace that with the life of your firstborn that I was supposed to kill. Hallelujah. So there was provision for a replacement. Hallelujah. So God said to the people, you're going to take a lamb and uh, you're going to kill that lamb. And when you kill that lamb, the life of that lamb replaces the life of your firstborn. And he said, but when you do that, put the blood on the doorpost and the lintel as a sign to you. Did you read that? Let's read it again. Let's, let's go there. I want to uh, go uh, in, uh, let's read uh, from verse maybe 6. Genesis, Exodus 12 from verse 6, maybe. I will explain to you something. Eh? I'm taking my time. Eh? You understand? Uh-huh. Now you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of uh, Israel uh, shall kill it at twilight. Let's let go on. Let's get it. And they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lentil of the house where they eat it. Let's go on. They shall eat the flesh on the night, roasted in fire with unleavened bread, with bitter herb, they shall eat it. Do not eat it raw, nor boil it with water, but roast it in fire, its head and uh, its leg and its entrail. Let's go. Let's go on. And thou shalt eat it with a belt, whatever it is, and your staff in your hand, and so you, so you shall, now the blood shall be a sign for you on the house where you are. The blood shall be a sign for you. Hallelujah. The blood was not a sign for God. The blood was a, was a sign for them. Because the blood was not protecting God. The blood was protecting them. Hallelujah. So that blood was for them. Not for God. The only thing God said that when I see it, it means that it's a sign for you, but it's visible to me. Hallelujah. So when I see it, I will pass over and then your testimony will be because of the blood we explain. That's where the blood becomes a sign. So your testimony is the blood. Come on. <laughs> Come on. So your testimony becomes the blood. So, so when they are telling the story, they cannot skip the part of the blood. Because they can say that God passed over us, but if they skip the blood, 
we have escaped the sign. In a place without signboards, you cannot find yourself. Yes. A town without signboards, even GPS will be confused. <laughs> Hallelujah. Because GPS is not magic. Do you know that you need to enter the coordinate of the place so that GPS can relate to you? So if there's nothing, you can't do anything. Hallelujah. So what I'm trying to say is that if you skip the sign, you skip the whole story. He said the blood shall be a sign for you. Hallelujah. It was the first time in the history of man that something replaced the life of somebody, something else. <coughs> Hallelujah. Amen. Something had to replace the life. So when they were in the house and they took the lamb and they slaughtered the lamb and they put the blood, the life of the lamb became a substitute to the life of the firstborn. But have you realized that God didn't go to kill everybody? He only went for the firstborn male child. <laughs> so the blood was not protecting the family, it was protecting the male child. Oh, you don't take this. I, 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 no, we, we preach it. We say he protected them all. No, the blood was there for the male firstborn. Because in the house of Pharaoh, Nobody else died except the. So the angel of death was not going for everybody. It was going for the. <laughs> Hallelujah. So the blood of the firstborn of a lamb, of a goat, the young goat of a lamb, was a blood that secures destiny. Because the firstborn is the image of destiny and fruitfulness. So the blood protected that because if it dies, inheritance is dead. Come on now. So it has to be alive to carry on the legacy. So when what God was doing, he was destroying the future of Egypt. Because the heir of the throne died. Come on, I know I'm taking you somewhere. So the blood protected the firstborn. Now, don't make that mistake to say the blood protected the Israelites. It protected the firstborn. Because God was not in business of killing elderly people. He was there to take the strength out. Hallelujah. Amen. And the blood came. Hallelujah. Hi, 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 hi. But do you know that the Bible says that Jesus is the firstborn among many brothers? Amen. I hope you hear that. Jesus is the firstborn among 
many brothers. If you go to Isaiah 53, verse 8, it pleased God to crush them. So, in this case, the firstborn was not protected, the firstborn was offered. The firstborn was not protected, the firstborn was killed. And the life of the firstborn protected the whole family. In the case of Egypt, the firstborn was protected. In the case of Christ, the firstborn was killed. But his death was for the protection of the secondborn. <laughs> come on, come on, come on, come on. And do you know who is the secondborn? It's you. So, it was so amazing, I'll tell you later on, maybe on Sunday about the resurrection, that the firstborn die so that the secondborn may live. But the death of the firstborn is the destruction of the future. So, God put heaven on a, on a line by killing the future of heaven for the secondborn. So let me not go there. I won't go on the resurrection now. <laughs> so, so, so the angel of death passed over. Passed over because it was blood. It was blood. You know, there's the power of blood. The power of blood. We all know we speak, preach the blood speaks, blood speaks. But do you know that the blood of animals cannot be uh, infused in a human being. I'll tell you about the story later. But trans, how do you call it? Blood transfusion. If you do blood transfusion from a goat to you, you might, you will die. Because there needs to be compatibility in the blood. Even you can't put blood of human in every human. Ah. <laughs> there needs to be a type of blood that is compatible to the other blood. So, any blood that you put in you that is not compatible to your blood can kill you. So, hmm. oh Lord, help me. Help me. So, when you just say, drink my blood, He knows his blood is compatible to your blood. Amen. I mean, why? It will be a killing machine. That is the proof that you are from the same family. Hallelujah. I'm not a scientist. Eh? You can tell me. If I'm lying, you cannot take any blood and put it on people. You need to know the type. A, what? Oh, all this type. If you put something here, then kaput instead of saving. But in history, there was a Frenchman that saved the life of a young boy by giving the life the blood of a lamb. 
you know let me read to you you know guys you must be curious let me read it to you let me read it to you and 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 then he tried it again later and people start to die <laughs> because he didn't understand what happened let me see if i can find that uh, yes it was when was that Yes. They say in 1667, the first direct blood transfusion to a human was performed by a physician. Amen? But then, later on, there was a French physician named, they call it Jean-Baptiste, or we call him John Baptiste. There was a, a, a young boy that was suffering. And he has no other option, so he gave him the blood of a lamb. And then the boy survived. It's research, it's, it's here. I don't, I'm not so clever to know this. <laughs> you understand? And the boy survived. And I was wondering, what was that? And I felt maybe it was a message from God. Because after that, they tried again, people were dying. So it means it was not something that was supposed to happen. And why a lamb? Because it, they tried the blood of a lamb and the boy survived. And I believe that God is speaking to this generation. Hallelujah. Amen. About the blood. You see, the Bible says that the blood, the life is in the blood. Amen? Amen. Say so the life is in the blood. Now, you need to understand that everything that makes you you is traceable in your blood. Hallelujah. Everything that makes you you is traceable in your blood. So, when God says, take the, li- the blood of a lamb, he meant take the life of a lamb. Hallelujah. But we also know the characteristic of a lamb. <coughs> we know the characteristic of a lamb. He didn't say... Take the blood of a lion. <laughs> Hallelujah. The blood of a lamb. Because of the character of a lamb. Hallelujah. So, so the blood that was put there was a blood that has the virtue of a lamb in it. So the blood of a lamb speaks of the life of a lamb. So when you say the blood of Jesus... We are speaking of the life of Jesus. Hallelujah. So his blood, his blood speaks because the things in his blood speak the life of a lamb. Mm. Now, I explained to you why the lamb was killed. Now, I explained to you why they put the blood on the doorpost as a sign. Hallelujah. Then, the thing I want to explain is that why did they eat the flesh? Why did they have to eat the flesh? I think I've spoken about this before. Verse 8. Let's read Exodus 12, 8. Exodus 12, 8. Let's go quickly. I don't fall asleep. Eh? I know you guys. If the preacher is not jumping, jumping, you don't want to listen. 
But sometimes when you jump, he says nothing. Just repeating himself. Hallelujah. He said, then they shall eat the flesh on that night. Roasted on fire. With unleavened bread. With bitter herb. They shall eat it. Hallelujah. He said, they shall eat the flesh. Now, you know that eating means partaking into a life. We know that through Jesus. Amen? So, God told them, don't just put the blood, but eat the flesh. Amen? Don't just put the blood, eat the flesh. Somebody say, eat the flesh. You know that eating the flesh is an active participation in the life of the land. So you cannot just claim blood. There needs to be a participation in the life of the blood. So a Christian that proclaims blood without the life of the blood will lose. So you need to actively participate in the blood, in the life of the of lamb. You, eat, you need to eat the flesh. Jesus said to the people, let's read in the book of John chapter number 6, verse 53. John 6, 63. Uh, 53. John 6, 53. John 6, 53. Jesus said, most assuredly, I said to you, unless you eat my, the flesh of the son of man, and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Can I tell you something that may be shocking you? <laughs> that if they have put the blood and they haven't eaten the flesh, they would have died. What saved them was not just the blood, but the eating of the flesh. The reason why so many Christians are shocked of what is happening to them is that they declare the blood without eating the flesh. They speak, they speak blood, but the life of the blood is not there. If they have not eaten, Jesus says, the Bible says, let everybody in the house eat. And he says that even if it's too much, bring your neighbors Share it. Everybody must be somebody that eats the, the flesh. So it was not just the killing, it was not just the blood, it was the flesh. You see, that's where we miss it as Christians. We stand on the power of the blood, but we forget the flesh. And the word was made. Come on, you know where I'm going. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. So you can, you can have the blood, but if you don't have the flesh, you are a loser. And the flesh we are talking about here is the flesh of the word. Come on. So I'm giving you a mystery why Christianity is weak. Because we don't know the association of the symbolism of the things of God. We put the blood, but we don't eat the flesh. We are putting the blood on our windows, in roofs. We anoint everywhere, but we forget the flesh. 
Tell your neighbor, never forget to eat the flesh. Because eating the flesh makes you partake of the life of what you are eating. That's why, that's why for men to be partaker of sin, men had to eat something. Men just didn't break, men just didn't break the law by saying yes to Satan. Men had to eat. When we ate, we became partaker of a life of sin. Careful now what you eat. Hallelujah. Because you don't just eat physical food. You eat everything you are engaged with. Yes. 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 When you sleep with somebody and you are not married, you are eating the flesh of that person. Yes. Yes. So, so, so very, <laughs> Lord help me here. So, what happened? Then you, you partake in the life of that person. Some of you, you, I don't know what happened to me. Everything is falling apart. Who did you eat with? Are you sure you ate at the right table? Because if you ate at the wrong table, the demon of that table comes to you too. So you shall eat the flesh. Somebody say, eat the flesh. People say, I don't like the word. I don't like to read the word. Hey. You don't like to read the word. So you don't like meat. Oh, I'm a vegetarian. There is no vegetarian in the spirit. You need to eat the flesh. That flesh you need to eat. Yes, listen. Listen, naturally you might not like meat. It's fine. I don't have a problem with that. But when it comes to the word, you need to eat the meat of the word. And if you don't eat that flesh, you, you will die. You need to eat. Somebody say, I need to eat. I I can even stop here and we can go home. Eh? Let's carry on. I want to show you some more more things. I want to show you more things. Hallelujah. Mm. He said, We shall eat the flesh. Let's go. He said, You shall eat. Go back again to uh, Exodus 12 8. There's many things that I want to show there. Exodus 12 8. Exodus 12, 8. Thank you, Jesus. He said, then you shall eat the flesh on that night, roasted on fire. Keep it there. Please don't take it out. Please keep it the way it is now. He said, you shall eat roasted on fire. Why roasted on fire? Because fire deals with judgment. Yes. It means that the flesh you are eating is judged. So, when you eat, you partake in the judgment. Therefore, God is not judging you anymore. Hallelujah. Judgment, judgment, judgment. How did God destroy Sodom and Gomorrah? Why the sacrifice are burnt? The burning of the sacrifice deals with the judgment of God. That's the wrath of God coming on the meats. So the wrath of God that was supposed to come on you comes on the altar. So the altar need to have... <laughs> let, let, let me. The reason why the altar is not consumed 
is that on top of the altar, when the meat is put, it's put on what we call the mercy. So when the fire comes, it destroys the meat, but the altar stands because there's a mercy seat on the altar. Have you read the, 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 the ark of, uh, of, of Moses? He said the top part is a mercy seat. But the judgment of God, the judgment of God can destroy the meat, but will not destroy the altar. Come on. Destroy the meat, but not the altar. And he said, you shall eat your meat roasted on, in fire, meaning the meat you are eating, you are partaking in the suffering. Have you heard Paul that said, I want to know the power of the resurrection and the fellowship with your suffering? Have you heard that? That's what he's talking about in the Old Testament. So you are eating, you are partaking in the suffering of a lamb. So if you didn't eat, you are not a candidate to be spared. Because you never partook in the suffering of that lamb. Now we get, he can say, roasted on fire with unleavened bread. You know, unleavened or, or leaven in the Bible, leaven, uh, when we talk about leaven, we talk, it gives the idea of sin. Huh? Leaven talks a, a lot about sin. That's why God will say, be careful of the Pharisees' leaven. So leaven deals with sin. And leaven means eat it with a pure mind. He said, eat it with, with unleavened bread. Unleavened bread means eat it with pure conscience. Have you read 1 Corinthians chapter number 11, where Paul was saying, those who eat in an unworthy manner, eat and drink a judgment against themselves because they didn't discern the body of Christ. Because they didn't eat it with a holistic mind of understanding who the body is. Can I break it down for you again? Now, uh, come, I see. I like to take people in so that you can understand. Come. Thank you. Uh, daddy, come. Daddy, your hands, come. Okay. Hold hands. Okay. And hold his hand also. Okay. These are two, three people. Huh? Three people. But the Bible says they are part of what we call the body of Christ. Isn't so? We are all part of the body of Christ. Amen. And what do we eat at communion? What do we eat at communion? That bread, how do they call it? He says, this is my body. So, this is the body you are eating. This is the body. Now, imagine you are eating this man, but you have something against him. When it goes into your system, what is it going to do to you? It's making you sick. So when you hate brothers and sisters and you are you are things against them and you take communion, you are eating in an unworthy man because you didn't discern what the body really is. Because the body is these people. It's not the bread you are eating. It's a symbol of these people. So that's why the Bible says, love your neighbor as yourself because when you love, you are protected Eating the body that makes that a blessing to you. As you I don't know that you eat the body of an enemy, you tear apart your intestines. 
because he knows that you don't like him. So when you are eating communion here, you are not just eating bread. You are partaking in the life of each other because we are part of the life of Christ. We are all part of the body. So when I take the communion, my neighbor next to me, I'm partaking in his life. So if I don't like him, I'm eating a judgment against myself. That's what he's telling you. Hey! Can we give you a hand to me? Go and sit. Hey. <laughs> so he said, eat with unleavened bread. Eat with a pure conscience. Eat with mentality of grace. Eat it knowing what you are eating. I think it's a joke. Communion. The Bible said that's why some die early. The reason why people are dying early sometimes is communion that they eat in church. Because they don't know what they are eating. And I'm not saying you must be afraid. What I'm trying to tell you is that when you are eating, be mindful that I'm eating, I'm partaking in the life of somebody else next to me. Therefore, I need to make peace with that person. Therefore, I, didn't need, I don't need to hold grudges in my heart against people because it's a condemnation to myself. And I refuse to be condemned. Therefore, if I hate my brother, I go to him and say, you know what? You hurt me, I'm not happy. But for the sake of the unity of Christ, I want to tell you, I forgive you. Amen. Finished. Amen. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Come on. He said, you eat it with unleavened bread. Say unleavened bread. Unleavened. It's not the traditional mindset of the Jews that are eating those bread, thinking it's the black bread that does. It's the symbol in the bread. The mind with which you eat, the, the attitude of heart that you eat with, that's what we call unleavened bread. It's not that flat thing. <laughs> Just a symbol to tell you how you should eat it. No, let's carry on. And he said, with what? Bitter herb. You shall eat. Why bitter herb? Why not sweet herb? Why bitter herb? Why? They said you must eat with bitter herb. You know what it's sent for? Bitter herb means you eat counting the costs or you eat reminding yourself what it costs the lamb. So when you eat and you know what, what, what the, the cost that the lamb that you are eating paid, it brings a, an attitude of, wow, Lord, this meat is nice, but it costs so. So you mean I'm not just eating it. I'm eating the idea that Jesus died. But he didn't die for himself. He died for me. That's the bitter part of the eating. But unfortunately, in Passover, people don't remind themselves of the cost of the cross. They only remind themselves of the benefits without the cost. But if you don't know the cost, you can't value the article. They told me of a story of a lady that received an iPad in Africa. The son sent her an iPad. And then when, a few months later, the son went to visit him. And when the son came there, he said, Mom, 
Are you enjoying your iPad? He said, yes, sir. Amazing. He said, I used to struggle to cut onion. But when he brought me that cutting board, I'm just slicing it. So smooth. <laughs> so she used the iPad as a cutting board, slicing onion. <laughs> and the son said, man, it's called an iPad. I bought it. So expensive. Say, I didn't know. You didn't tell me. And you didn't tell me how to use it. So for me, I use it as I know it. A valuable item that was reduced into a kitchen ornament. When you don't know the cause, you trample over the item. So you cannot celebrate Passover without reminding yourself of the costs. If your Passover is about just rejoicing and forgetting what it cost heaven, you missed it. A bitter taste. So when I'm enjoying my freedom, I knew it cost him his life. When I'm enjoying my freedom, I knew the Son of God laid down his life for me. Hallelujah. Are we counting the cost of the cost? Or are we just enjoying the benefit? You see, when we enjoy the benefit, we take it cheap. There was a rich man that uh, used to sometimes go and buy stuff. And when he buys the stuff, even if it's one cent, the change, he say, give it to me. And they give it. Then one day, his son went to the same shop, bought something, and the change was not even change. It was so big. And the son said to the guy, keep it. And the guy said, thank you. And the next day, the father came. He bought something and small change and he said, give it. And the guy said, ah, sir, I don't understand. You are the rich man. Your son that you gave the money to, come here, he leaves you the changes. He said, my son does not know how I got the money. That's why he does not treasure it. Me, I know what it cost me to get that money. Therefore, I don't throw it around. When you don't know the cost, you trample it. Because Jesus takes serious the cost. Because he knew what it cost him. Does the body of Christ knows what the cost cost Jesus? Once you start to know the cost, you start to value the person on the cost. Do you understand that he died? Do you understand that, that, that he suffered? If you understand the the trauma through which Jesus went, man, you will be traumatized yourself. You think that those beating were just, that's just, oh, ah, yeah. No, those beating, the Bible says his body was ripped apart. Isaiah 53 says, he, 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 was, he was, we couldn't recognize him. He said, a man of sorrow and a, a man of death acquainted to sorrow. We didn't even think that we should look at him that's how disfigured he was. 
That's the people of his generation that used to know him. That day they couldn't recognize him because his face was completely transformed because of a beating. And he carried that to the cross for the love and the passion that he has for you and for me. And that's what Passover is about. The passion of Christ. Carrying that cross. Having you in mind. He was the firstborn. He was supposed to be protected. But he laid down his life to protect his, his, second, boy, his second brother. The firstborn that was supposed to be protected. Laid down his life for the one that was not even supposed to be protected. Passover is not a story, it's a story of bitter joy. We joy in the Lord, but we remind ourselves of what it cost him. We keep the cost in our mind so that we may know how to treasure the salvation we got. You see, there is there was a man, I've given the story, I given the story already. There was twin brothers. And I think I'm going to stop here. Are you blessed? Yeah. There were twin brothers. And one was a gangster. And one was a, a man of God. And the gangster always laughed at him. And he told him, you look like a woman. You can't do anything for yourself. Me, you don't walk all over me. I stand for myself. Have you seen people like that? And one day they went for a deal, the drug addict or the gangster. They went for a deal, they were selling drugs. And they went for a deal and the deal turned sour. And there was a fight that broke out. And the brother, that gangster brother stabbed the guy. And the guy fell on him. And then the blood came on his shirt. And then the police came on the scene and they started chasing him. And he was running. He ran everywhere they were after him. And then at the end, he said, I want them to arrest me at home. He went home. When he went, his brother was sitting there. The brother asked him, what is wrong? He said, I have stabbed somebody, and they're going to get me. The story was a movie that they played in the U.S. those days. Because the law was electric chair. If you kill somebody, you die. So the brother said, give me your shirt. He said, what for? He said, let's exchange, because they look like. So he gave him his shirt. And when police came, they grabbed the one with the blood. And then the other brother was crying. And they took him. And the day of the, they did the trial and they said, he's going to be killed. And the brother, the gangster, couldn't take it. He said, brother, I can't let you go through this. Because all your life, you were somebody that always followed the rules. I was not. If one has to die, I'm the one to die. And the brother says, no, you don't understand. That's the story of Jesus I always tell you. Jesus came among us. He took our form. So when the devil want to punish us, he made a mistake and grabbed Jesus. And he says, I'm dying today and I'm going to heaven. Make sure you meet the Lord Jesus I'm talking about. And he fell on his knees and he received Christ that day. Jesus came from heaven. The Bible says he came in the likeness and the appearance of men. 
He said, if they had known, they wouldn't crucify the Lord of glory. So when the devil caught Jesus, he thought he caught you because you look like him. You were his twin brother. And the devil took him and uh, he put him at the cross thinking he was crucifying the guilty one, but he was crucifying the innocent one. And the guilty one was saved by the blood of the innocent one. And I'm telling you the truth. If you are sitting here and your Christianity is double weight, I want to appeal to you tonight that Jesus paid that price for you and for me so that not only you may be saved, but you may have fellowship with him. And I want to make an altar call. If you are here, you were invited and you are not saved. I want to tell you, this is what Jesus did for you. And tonight, he's standing here. He, he, he has no other mouth but my mouth. Because tonight, he's speaking. And if you are here and you hear his voice from me, I want you to lift up your hand and say, today I want to give my life to the Savior that died for me. I want anyone that is sitting here tonight that wants to make that peace with Jesus to lift up his hand so that we can pray with you. Please, don't be, don't, don't be shy. And don't think, I used to go to church. It does not save you. You need to have a revelation of Christ. And if you don't have that revelation, please lift up your hands. We will willingly pray for you before we move on. Thank you, Jesus. Is there anyone in our midst that wants to make that step tonight? I said tonight is my night. I want to make peace with Jesus. Do you have anyone? I'm just stealing some chances. And if there's no one, if there's no one that's... That, that is here that is not born again today. Hallelujah. Anyone that is not, if, if you are here tonight and you understood this message, hallelujah. Can we give a hand to our Lord? shy. If you are here, you can stand up and come. This is a time of commitment. You heard what I said. You heard tomorrow we'll carry on and I'll give you the, 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 the redemptive power in the blood. But tonight I want to set the foundation of Passover so that you may do Passover with the right mindset. So tonight when you get to your home and you kneel and you are praying, remember the cost. Remember the cost so that you can treat this gospel right. So, my sister, pray with me. Say, Dear Lord Jesus, today I come to you. I understand that you died for my sins and you rose again. Thank you for your life. I want to partake in your life today. Therefore, I put my trust in you. I believe in my heart that you died for my sins. I confess with my mouth that God raised you from the dead. You are coming back. I declare you my Lord and my Savior. I thank you for washing me clean, for forgiving my sins and saving my soul. I give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Give you one wonderful food. Father, in the name of Jesus, commit this sister to you. Precious Holy Spirit. Come upon her. 
take his spirit of God into you and make him dwelling in you now. Receive Christ and follow him with all your heart. Friend, you came today with this guilt. I thought you were too tired to come here. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Can we all stand? This is a time of rededication. Hallelujah. And each one of us is going to say, Father. I recommit my life to you. Now, before you carry, I want to tell you something. God says that to the people of Israel that this will be generation from the, you will celebrate this. He says so that you can remind yourself. Now, why God does that? Because in this time, in the calendar of God, it's an opportunity for people to recommit again to him. That's why he says you will tell your children and children. So when they come to that point, they know they remind themselves of what he has done and they recommit their life, their life to him. So this is a divine appointment. That's why, that way they took the definition of feast from divine appointment. It means that it's an appointment where God gives you grace again to say, Lord, we have run the race for a year and I want to come again and say, Lord, I put again, I recommit again to you that I understand the sacrifice. So I want you to recommit your life to Jesus. Hallelujah. In your own ways, recommit your life. If you want to stand, you stand. If you want to kneel, you kneel. Every position you want to take, even if you want to sit back, you can. I don't have a problem. But recommit your life to Jesus. I surrender all. I surrender To be my blessed Savior. So, surrender again to Jesus. Surrender. Ah, surrender. Oh, to be my Blessed to Savior. Remember, He carried that heavy cross for you and for me. Today is giving you an opportunity to come back to Him again. To be my blessed. To save you. So, Father, we understand what you have done for us. Today, as a congregation, as a church, we want to come back to you and say, Lord, we understand the price. 
We understand the price, therefore, as people, we want to come before you, Lord, and lay again our lives down before you and say, Jesus, thank you, a thousand times thank you. Let that revelation sink in our spirit. Let it sink in our heart so that we may be people that glorifies you regardless of the situation. Father, we don't want to despise you because of our circumstances anymore. We don't want to reject you because of our circumstances anymore. You have done it all for us. And tonight we acknowledge the cost. I want to give you praise for who you are. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Can we give a big hand to our Lord? You may be seated. So, we, you may be seated. So, we, have, we are done for tonight, and we'll carry on tomorrow. And Friday, we'll have the miracle service. So, Friday, we'll also have communion, and Sunday, we'll have communion. Hallelujah. Amen. And bear in mind that the life of God is in you. Hallelujah. Bear that in mind, that the life of God is in you. And I love God because he's a redeeming God. You know, it doesn't matter how, how, how far you have fallen from him, it takes one step to come back to him. Because the moment you say, Father, I understand, you open wide his hand and he receives you back. So it's not what you have done that is the matter. It's what you are doing with what you have done. That's the matter. When your heart is to come back to God, God always receives you back. And that's the message of hope and grace that we have in God. So, please, don't let your current circumstances draw you away from God. You know, at Passover, we preach the promises without the offer of the promise. Because the church is so based on preaching the promises that they forget the offer of the promise. And we want not only to preach the promise, but we want to connect to the offer of the promise. And I'm praying that you may meet the offer of the promise so that the promises may be relevant to your life. God bless you. We'll see you tomorrow. Shalom. Amen.